0: Chapter Twenty of *The Guerrilla Hunters* by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adel de Pignoroles. Chapter Twenty: A Warlike Expedition and a Victory. It was excessively dark that night when we set forth on our expedition. The scout from whom we had already ascertained so much about the intended movements of the enemy also told us that they meant to set out a little before midnight and march on the village by a certain route indeed it was very unlikely that they would approach by any other as the jungle elsewhere was so thick as to render marching especially at night very difficult jack therefore resolved to place the greater proportion of his troops in ambush at the mouth of a small gully or dell a few miles from the enemy's camp where they were almost certain to pass but with a certain degree of caution that i thought highly credible in one so young and inexperienced a general he set out a considerable number of the most trustworthy men in advance with instructions to proceed with the stealth of leopards, and to bring back instant information of any change of route on the part of the foe. The troops placed in ambush at the dell above referred to were Peterkin's hundred musketeers, supported by jacks, spear, and bowmen. I was ordered to advance by a circuitous route on the camp itself, with my fifty musketeers, followed by my small company of spearmen. My instructions were to conceal my men as near to the camp as possible, and there await the first discharge of firearms from the dell, when I was to rise, advance upon the camp, utter a terrific shout when within fifty yards, rush forward to within twenty-five yards, halt, pour in one withering volley of blank cartridge, and charge without giving my men time to load. Of course I could not speak to my men, but this was a matter of little consequence, as they were now well acquainted with our three words of command, forward, halt, and fire and fully understood that they must under all circumstances follow their leader. I knew well enough that there must be no little danger in this arrangement, because the leader would necessarily be always in front of the muzzles of the loaded guns. But there was no help for it, so I resolved to act upon my usual principle, namely, that when a thing is inevitable, the best thing to do is treat it as being unavoidable. Having conducted my men stealthily and successfully to the vicinity of the enemy's camp, though with some difficulty owing to the almost impenetrable nature of the jungle through which we had to pass in making the detour necessary to avoid falling in with the attacking force we proceeded to advance to within as short a distance of it as possible without running the risk of being discovered this was not difficult for the men left to guard the camp supposing no doubt that their presence in that part of the country was not suspected had taken no precautions in the way of placing sentries so we quickly arrived at the foot of a small mound about sixty yards or so from the encampment at the foot of this mound i caused my men to lie down giving them to understand by signs that they were on no account to move until i should return then i crept alone to the brow of the mound and obtained a clear view of the camp the men who should have guarded it were i found busily employed in cooking their supper there were perhaps upwards of a hundred of them to my great satisfaction i observed the captives sitting near to the fire and although at so considerable a distance from them, I felt certain that I recognized the figures of Mabongo and Okandaga. Hastening back to my men, I endeavored to give them as much information as possible by means of signs, and then lay down beside them to await the signal from Jack's party. Although the attack of both our parties was to be simultaneous, the first shot was to be fired by our troops in the dell. I will therefore describe their part of the engagement first. Jack described it to me minutely after all was over. On reaching the dell, Jack disposed his forces so as to command the only approach to it. The hundred musketeers he placed in a double row directly across the deepest and darkest part. The spearmen he divided into two bodies, which he posted on the flanks of the musketeers among the bushes. He then showed the rear rank of the latter how to point their pieces over the shoulders of the men in the front rank at a given signal, but carefully reiterated the order not to touch a trigger until the word fire should be given. "'Now, Peter "'said Jack, when these dispositions had been made. "'It is time for you to get ready. "'Macaruru and I can manage these fellows, "'so you have my permission to go and play your own independent part. "'Only let me warn you to remember your last exploit in this way, "'and see that you don't do yourself a damage.' "'Thanks, noble general, for the permission,' answered Peterkin, "'of which I shall avail myself. "'In reference to your advice, I may remark that it is exceedingly valuable, "'so much so, indeed, that I would advise you not to part with it until asked for.' with that peterkin ran into the jungle and was soon lost to view on gaining a sufficient distance from the men he took off the greater part of his clothes and wound round his person several pieces of light-coloured cotton that he chanced to have with him and some old pieces of newspaper then he decked his head with leaves and ragged branches as he had done before in the haunted cave making himself in short as wild and fantastic a looking creature as possible the only difference between his getting up on this and the former occasion being that he was white instead of black for he wisely judged that a white demon must naturally appear infinitely more appalling and horrible to a negro than one of his own colour. The two cones of moistened powder, however, which he had prepared for this occasion, were very much larger than the former, and had been fitted into two wooden handles, or cups, for safety. With these in his hands, he crept to the top of a steep sloping mound or hill near the entrance to the dell, and considerably in advance of the troops. Here he sat down to await the approach of the enemy there is something very eerie and awe-inspiring in a solitary night watch especially if it be kept in a wild lonesome place peterkin afterwards told me that while sitting that night on the top of the mound looking out upon a plain over which the enemy were expected to approach on the one hand and down into the dark dell where our troops were posted on the other hand his heart more than once misgave him and he could not help asking himself the questions what if our plans miscarry what if our united volley and cheer and my demoniac display should fail to intimidate the negroes. Such questions he did not like to dwell upon, for he knew that in the event of failure a regular pitched battle would be fought, and much blood would certainly flow. While indulging in such thoughts, he observed a dark form glide past the foot of the mountain on which he lay, and vanish into the obscurity of the dell, which was so surrounded by crags and rocky places covered with underwood that no light could penetrate into it. At first he was startled, and thought of giving the alarm to his comrades, but on second thoughts he concluded the person must have been one of his own scouts returning with news at all events he felt that one man could do no harm worth speaking of to so large a party presently he observed a large band of men coming over the plain towards the entrance of the dell these he felt assured must be the enemy and he was right they came on in a large compact body and were well armed yet from the quick and unguarded manner of their approach he could perceive that they suspected no ambush They entered the dell in a confused though solid and silent body, and Peterkin could observe by the dim light that they were led by one man, who walked in advance, whom he rightly judged to be the Portuguese slave-dealer. The time for action had now come. He examined the points of his powder-cones, to ascertain that they were dry, then held the match in readiness, and listened intently to the footsteps of the foe. I have already explained that Jack had drawn his musketeers across the dell, and placed the spearmen in the jungle on both flanks. They were arranged in such a way as to form three sides of a square, into which the unsuspecting enemy now marched. Jack allowed them to approach to within thirty paces of his musketeers, and then gave, in a loud, deep, sonorous tone, the word, "'Hip, hip, hip!' The compound cheer and yell that instantly followed the last hip was so tremendous, coming as it did from all sides except the rear, that the enemy were absolutely paralyzed. They stood rooted to the earth, as motionless as if they had been transformed into stone, Jack raised his hand, in which he held a bundle of white grass that could be distinctly seen in the dark. Every muzzle was pointed on the instant, but not a sound was heard, save the click of a hundred locks. The sound was familiar to the enemy, although never before at one moment heard in such numbers. They started, but before a step could be taken, the word, FIRE, was given. Instantly a sheet of flame swept across the entire dell, and the united crash of a hundred guns seemed to rend the very earth. The surrounding cliffs reverberated and multiplied the horrible din, while, led by Jack, cheer followed cheer, or rather howls and yells filled the air, and kept awake the echoes of the place. The enemy turned and fled, and the shrieks to which they gave utterance as they ran betokened the extremity of their terror. It wanted but one touch to complete their consternation, and that touch was given when Peterkin, lighting his powder-cones, showed himself on the mound, dancing in a blaze of fire, and shrieking furiously as the horrified tide of men swept by. In the midst of his wild orgies, Peterkin acted an impromptu and unintentional part by tripping over the brow of the hill and rolling down the steep declivity like a fire wheel into the midst of the flying crew. Jumping hastily up, he charged through the ranks of the foe, flung the two hissing cones high into the air, and darting into the jungle, hid himself effectually from view. Meanwhile, Jack still held the bunch of white straw aloft. Every eye was fixed on it, but not a man moved, because it remained stationary this absence of pursuit in the midst of such appalling sights and sounds must undoubtedly have added to the mystery and therefore to the terrors of the scene suddenly the white bunch was seen to dart forward jack who now considered the enemy almost beyond the chance of being overtaken gave the word forward in the voice of a stenter following it up with hip hip hurrah and the whole host musketeers and spearmen in a mingled mass rushed yelling out into the plain and gave chase to the foe not so badly done, said Jack, with a quiet laugh, as he laid his hand on Peterkin's shoulder. Why, Jack, how did you find me out? Easily enough, when it is considered that I saw you go in. The flame of your wildflower indicated your movements very plainly to me, although terror and amazement no doubt blinded the eyes of everyone else. Even Mac's teeth began to chatter when he saw you perform that singular descent of the hill, and no wonder. I hope no bones have been broken. No, all right as far as that goes, replied Peterkin with a laugh. "'but I've lost a good deal of skin. "'However, it'll grow again. "'I'm glad it's no worse. "'But I say, Jack, "'do you think our fellows won't overtake these rascals?' "'No fear of that. "'I took care to give them a good start, "'and if there be any truth in the generally received idea "'that terror lends wings, "'I'm pretty sure that each man in the enemy's ranks "'must have obtained the loan of several pairs tonight. "'But have you heard the sound of Ralph's guns?' "'No. "'The din here was enough to drown anything so distant.' "'Well, we must await to him as fast as we can. "'I expect that poor Mac is off before us.' But you'll wait until i put on my clothes said Peterkin, hasting back towards the place where he had undressed certainly lad only look alive soon afterwards they left the place together while this was going on at the dell i on hearing the first shot gave the word forward in a low tone the men instantly rose and followed me and i could not even at that anxious moment help admiring the serpent-like facility with which they glided from bush to bush without the slightest noise we descended a hill crossed a small brook, and approached to within thirty yards of the camp without being discovered. Suddenly I leapt on the top of a hillock, and shouted at the utmost pitch of my voice the single word, HALT! On seeing it, all the men in the camp sprang to their arms, and stood gazing round them with looks of consternation. My next word was, FIRE! A firm, tremendous crash burst from among the bushes, and my single person, enveloped in smoke and flame, was, I believe, the only object visible to those in the camp. Hip, hip hip hurrah forward i shouted and with a ferocious yell we poured like a whirlwind upon the foe the same result that had occurred at the dell took place here the enemy never awaited our charge they fled instantly and so great was their terror that they actually threw down their arms in order to facilitate their flight on gaining the camp however i found to my sorrow that we had done the thing only too vigorously for we had not only put the enemy to flight but we had also frightened away those whom we had come to deliver At this point in the engagement I came to learn how incompetent I was to command men in cases of emergency, for here my presence of mind utterly forsook me. In my anxiety to capture Mavongo and his friends I ordered an immediate pursuit. Then it occurred to me that in the event of my friend being successful in overtaking the fugitives, they would instantly murder them all, so I tried to call them back, but alas, they did not understand my words, and they were by this time so excited as to be beyond all restraint. In a few minutes I found myself left alone in the enemy's camp. And heard the shouts of pursued and pursuers growing gradually fainter and more distant as they scattered themselves through the jungle. Seating myself by the fire in a state of mind bordering on despair, I buried my face in my hands and endeavored to collect myself and consider what, under the circumstances, should now be done. End of chapter twenty. Recording by Adel de